Hello everybody and welcome back to BYOB. That is Bring Your Own Blockbuster Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Jack, and I'm joined as ever by a very special guy. <laughs> I don't really know where that was going, mate. But <laughs> I literally just nice. took a sip of water as you said that. And I'm not joking, it just come out of my nose. <laughs> A very <laughs> special guy. A very special guy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I was trying to like, I was thinking, trying to think, oh, let's do something oh, nice, God. you know. That but, has uh, sent me. That has that's... sent me. <laughs> <laughs> A very special guy. <laughs> special, special, freaky kind oh, of guy. Man, I needed that. I that was such a like great kickoff point. Uh, how are you, mate? How are you getting on? Not bad. We, well, I mean, I think we should address the fact that we've been away for a week. I think Kermode and Mayo call it going on a, a cruise, don't they? Yeah, the That's cruise. The, the cruise. Yeah. And I, I, I'd always wondered, you know, when I used to listen to the pod when they were back on the BBC and they were talking about the cruise and it gets summertime, I'd always sort of think, is this because there's a lot of in jokes, right, on in, with Kermode oh and Mayo? Yes, yeah. And I'd always think, do, do they do some sort of pod on a cruise or <laughs> yeah, what? Man. do you know what I mean like <laughs> totally and, I, and then obviously I learned it was just a euphemism for we're going on holiday but didn't you did you find when you first started listening to that that there was like that there was just no like, there was no there was never any explainer of any of these private jokes mm, mm, mm. so they'd just be like oh hello tinkety tonk and down with yeah, the Nazis like, yeah what are you talking about and then there would be and then they used to say <clears throat> I'd listen to the, I'd listen to the pod version, and they'd be like, "Oh, of course, this would be in the podcast for you," and I'd be like, "Is there another version of the podcast? Yeah, is there like a longer and, version of the podcast that I just can't find? And it's well, two hours already. It's pretty long. Like, where is this extended cut?" Um, what, what, okay, can I ask you then? Can Can you explain to me what was earmark? Was that? I have no idea. I have no idea at all. I could What's, not even begin what, to tell you. What is all that about? It, and it used to really wind me up, but then, but then here's the kicker: when you'd get that earmark at the beginning of the pod, <laughs> I, I was already like, "Ah, oh, okay, that's these two. And then when they went on the cruise, it didn't matter who the hell was hosting. Immediately, I'd be like, "I'll oh, piss off." Yeah, 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 hundred percent, hundred percent, hundred percent. You're not, you're not Simon Mayo. Get no, out! And they could, no. they could be the most wonderful. Uh, wonderful hosts or, or, and like incredibly well respected. It's like Robbie Collin, isn't it? And Sanjeev mm. Baskar, for example. Edith like, Bowman as well. Often. Edith Bowman. Wonderful people. Like in mm. their own rights, I would, I used to love the Kumars. Like I used to watch the, the mm. Kumars. Robbie Collin, I would like read his stuff, listen to his stuff. Edith Bowman, I mean, I have loved Edith Bowman for ages. But when it comes down to podcasts, it's like, I've come here to listen to this specific thing. Do not ruin this for me. Serve and it's not... me that. <clears throat> Put that in my trough. You know? Yeah, yeah. That's as you call it, like uh, on some of your other productions. I'm a grubby content pig, and I want to snortily, <laughs> gruntily eat it all down. <laughs> Face in, you know. <laughs> Face in the trough, <laughs> all, all around the mouth, you know. Yeah, and that really sort of like heavy breathing eating i want it like that i want it's like to the point where i'm not coming up for air properly like i'm trying to inhale and eat at the same time that's how the, i feel about that sort of content. the type of eating when you're 
chowing into a McDonald's 20 nug box when you've been on a shoot sort of for 15 that hours. That is the, it's the that exact sort of, of eating yeah. that I'm talking about. Look, for people that don't, don't know, we, Jack and I basically used to have a tradition that we'd, we'd go on these long <laughs> shoots, like that they'd be miles away, and the shoots would always be the longest. Like, just it would be such a long day, and then you'd be on the journey home, it'd be four and a half hours. And you know when you're doing that thing where you're, driving along and then the sign comes up and it says services in five miles services in 12 miles services in 25 miles but then occasionally you'd kind of like be like you get to the services in five miles and it would be like little chef or road chef and like, i don't know like a londis and a burger king and a greg's and you'd be like well, i'm not going to that services and then you get to the one in like 12 miles and it would, it would come up and be like Waitrose and uh, like uh, all this other Leon. gubbins. Leon. Oh, yeah, what, Leon. A, what an underwhelming service break. <laughs> like coming off and seeing like, okay, what are we having? Waitrose or Leon and Krispy Kreme and Costa? Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. Honestly, just get in the bin, and then you would see the one with the golden arches, and it didn't matter whether you were in the far right-hand lane, <laughs> like swerving and merging without Doesn't matter looking. If there's a couple of articulated <laughs> lorries in your way. Exactly, you just across the three lanes and in for twenty nuggets, and at least for me, it was at least five, five dips. To you used sure. to like the the McDonald's curry dip, if, oh, if memory serves. Mummy, if memory serves. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> See, I, I'm not very adventurous with my with my McDonald's dips. It's it's ketchup, maybe barbecue. Sometimes. Yeah, but the barbecue is very good as well. Yeah, the barbecue is like a little spice to it, isn't it? Just that's the entry bit. level, next stop curry sauce. Yeah, <laughs> I never did sweet and sour. I never did McDonald's no, sweet and sour. Weirdo's choice, the, that one. Weirdo's 20 choice. nuggets after a shoot. And then being then knowing that you're going to be uncomfortably full for the next mm. two and a half hours, mm. but doing it anyway. And like your hands are disgusting and greasy, but you're like, well. I, I don't think you'll mind me saying a, a mutual friend, um, Gareth. You not mind this. Gareth, he did 40 nuggets on, a, <laughs> on the drive back from Yeovil. Um, I honestly can't believe that he did it. Imagine yeah. having the, the 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 kind of like um, the the sort of ability and the digestive prowess mm. to see off forty nuggets. It's, it is worth saying, Gareth is I think about six foot six. Yeah, enormous. So you know, maybe but things just slim. hit different. Gareth yeah, is yeah. slim, like he's a slim man, and and just it's kind of like I don't know, maybe it kind of like. He's got just, space in his long legs. Yeah, I, mean? I was going to say that. Like, maybe it goes yeah. down to like his feet. <laughs> such a, such a, we're, we're just on that same dad joke wavelength, mate. Like, <laughs> it literally is it. that. I'm it's so it. pathetic, it. isn't it? Look, look um, this, this has taken all a bit of a turn at the moment, mate. It like, has, look, isn't it? We, we were saying we've been on a cruise. Where have you been? You and I have been on a gay cruise together, and that's yeah. the end of it. <laughs> that's <laughs> it. That's the discussion ends. Can you imagine it. you and I on a gay cruise with the, the way in which that we kind of talk about both appreciating going to make? Can you imagine it just be sort of like like two weeks on end of us kind of like gruntily eating and then talking about our bowel movements <laughs> shortly afterwards? Well, I, I think just on any type of cruise, people would be like, "Why are they here?" You know? <laughs> what like, are you doing here? W- Get off! What are they up to? Why is there this incessant need to discuss eating like a pig all the time? Toilet just humor and eating like a pig, you know? Yeah, but just a couple of just a couple of man children. But actually, do you know what? This is quite topical because <clears throat> I've got like I, I, I'll try not to ruin the 
I try not to ruin some of the gunpowder that I've got dry for the pod, but um, so I went to a mutual friend, friend of the pod, Tommy Milanese. Congratulations, Tommy. Congratulations, got married Tommy. to Lizzie. Um, about time. About time. Yeah, Sorry, you just, slow you know, coach. Just saying. Uh, but it, I mean, wonderful couple, lovely, lovely people. And um, they got married in Savona, which is, is stunning and it's, it's beautiful. And um, had an amazing time wedding on the beach, which was just so cool. Um, yeah, lovely, lovely time at that. And then... <clears throat> Uh, the missus and I went to um, Cinque Terre. I don't know if you mm. do. You know Cinque all the colourful painted buildings. Yes. Now this, beside the water. Exactly. This is very. This is where it gets a little bit interesting, right? So we went to Cinque Terre, and then we went to a little island off the coast of Naples called Ischia, oh, and lovely. that is the business. Like I really? cannot. I, I can't get across. It's just stunning, and the food is unbelievable. And I spent we, we spent five days in Ischia, and I did exactly what you'd expect someone to do on on an island off the coast of Italy. I just shoveled pasta into my mm. face. I drank on the beach. We drank it by the pool. We like there's a spa there. There's like all these. It's a volcanic island, so you get taxis up into the mountains to go and eat at the top of the mountain overlooking the whole island. It was just amazing. Oh, we've touched on this one just quickly, mate. We've touched on this one before, but were you a went for a run on holiday wanker? Oh, the biggest wanker. <laughs> <laughs> total, total bellend, yeah. Um, and, there were, and I always make sure that we book uh, somewhere with a gym. That's so sad. It like, kind of just tells you something about my horrible relationship with food um, in that, like, I... I can't, I have no control over my eating. And I know that sounds ridiculous, but like if you sit me in front of a buffet breakfast and go, Ben, why don't you try gentle portion control and have one croissant? I'd be like, why don't you shut the hell up? I'll yeah, tell you exactly. I've had enough. Why don't you leave me alone? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why don't you just accept that I'll do whatever I want to do? I'm literally that drunk guy at the bar that when someone says that, oh, maybe it's time to go home, Ben, it's like, I'll tell you when I'm going home. Like, that's me <laughs> at the breakfast buffet. Like, maybe we could go down to the beach now. It's like, go on your own if you want to go to the beach. Handful of, sh- handful of sausages. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. I've got sausages in one hand and a muffin in the other. Like, just sort of like crumbs all over me. But, um, so, yeah, we, we, we went, like... Iskia was unbelievable, really cool. Cinque Terre is w- the one that I'll put a pin in and come back to. Because, you know, we're just talking about the cruise. It was incredible. The like the na- uh, sort of natural out- off-season, the population of uh, Cinque Terre and the town that we were staying in, it's called Rio Maggiore, which is the southernmost town in Cinque Terre, is 2,000 people. So... Um, sort of over the course of the winter, there'll be at maximum, they said 2,000. Usually it's about 1,000 people are there in the whole town. On any given day, they estimate that fifty to 60,000 tourists come through. Oh, yeah. And it, like the cruises arrive with between three to 5,000 people into the port just down the sort of literally one stop down on the train and they just it's kind of grim isn't it? descend and it's like watching ants if you're up high and you sort of see the the boats come in it's like watching ants just pile off these ferries and you sort of go maybe this isn't a good thing like <clears throat> yes it's stunning it's beautiful and 
The reason why Cinque Terre has got so popular is because of TikTok, because mm-hmm. all of this kind of like all these wanderlust travel bloggers go and take the pictures of of the colourful houses and the beautiful view, similar sort of vibe to Venice, and then en masse, the entirety of nations where it's trended or gone viral just arrive and it was it was it like i'll I'll chat about some of the stuff later on in the pod but it was it was a fascinating experience because the place is beautiful but it, it certainly has its challenges what about you mate you've had a really good couple of weeks fill us in copenhagen went there for, for charlotte's birthday lovely place First birthday, been, lovely 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 place um quite expensive but you know things just work there it's it's kind of it's one of those places that you go to and you think, why can't the UK just be a bit more like this, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure there's a Danish listener here who's like, hey, it's not all milk and honey here and everything. But, yeah, sure. you know, at the same time, your trains are nice, they're clean, they're big, you can get a seat, you know, they are actually kind of affordable. It's, I don't know, there's things like that where I'm just like, you know. Things work. Yeah, things work. It's a bit annoying. Um <laughs> but yeah that was lovely and then after that we came back and we, i did did the big walk did the big walk mm. the mighty hike from weymouth to lulworth cove i believe well just behind lulworth cove about a mile back so we walked to durdle door onto lulworth cove and then you kind of have to walk about a mile or so out of there back to like a, a safe place for you know mcmillan to set up all their stuff like a field so I did that. It was good. It actually, do you know what? It um, I am I'm a, I'm a habitual hiker. I do a lot of walking. I don't think I fueled very well for this one. The last ah. last mile and a half, I was blowing out my ass. I was I was I was yeah, I was. I was fine. My feet were fine. All of Let that. Let go first, mate. Yeah, <laughs> put her in front of you. Don't want I, to catch downstream. I was. <laughs> I, I wasn't in pain. None of that. I was. I was physically. I was all good. I was just, I just felt like this deep, you, you know, you, you, I'm sure you know that feeling when you've like, not when it's like you've had a hard gym session or something like that. I'm talking like when you've been pretty much doing something like a very long run. I don't know if you've ever run a marathon, mate, or if you've... And you just, just, you've got nothing. The, the, yeah, there's a level of like tiredness. You feel it almost like in your chest, in the center of your chest, when you're just like, my batteries are flat, you know? Yeah. Um, I always I think just, of that as like you're, you're you feel like you're digesting nothing for precisely, energy. It's precisely, like you're, yeah. it's almost like what am I yeah. burning right now because it's not food. Yeah, because <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's annoying. Yeah, because I'd had like a couple of throughout the day I'd had probably two bananas, a couple of cereal bars, and then it kind of it got to like sort of to like just after the lunchtime point. And I was like, I'm not hungry, so I think I'll be all right. And then afterwards, obviously, I've read all this stuff being like, that's your body tricking you. Like, even if you're not hungry, you have to force yourself to. you got to bear in mind you're burning like 3,000 calories, 4,000 calories doing a hike yeah. like this. Like, you have Two to. Two days worth of food. Yeah, so I, did, I didn't I didn't do it very well. And I felt really, I had like the hiker's hangover after the oh, thing yeah. where it basically feels like a hangover. You know, you feel like dehydrated, you feel groggy, all this. Groggy, yeah. But... But, mate, we're talking about eating like pigs. Cured it all. Because I was by the sea, you know, it's south coast, down in Dorset. Cured it all with a nice big portion of cotton chips. Oh. Um, afterwards, in my cup, like you said, the vinegar the vinegar and ketchup gravy, you know, that when it mixes together. Oh. Oh. 
Ugh. all salty and when oh, you text me I mean. about that it actually like i have to level with you like it sort of like it moved me <laughs> 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 i literally like i started salivating i started to get into that headspace of like oh fuck but mate there's nothing like it what by I the do. seaside you can get decent fish and chips in town and stuff <clears> but it don't compare man if you're if you're ever anywhere around the coast Fish and chips in Britain is it's it's a must, isn't it? Yeah. South coast, up in Yorkshire, anywhere. But really funny thing on this, like when we, we Christina and I got chatting to <clears throat> just a couple of the people that worked at the hotel, and their English was like exquisite. It was amazing. So I've asked what, how come it was it was so good, and they said, oh, we spent some time in um, spent some time in London, and like we did a bit of uni there and stuff, and um, and I was like, what is it like? What do people think of the food in the uk because i always hear it gets such a bad rep you know we always get really beaten up on the continent for like oh the food's rubbish in the uk and then he was like oh yeah yeah fish and chips i was like mate (laughs) don't knock fish and chips it's properly good like leave it out it's brilliant like and it's also like you know when people say that when they're like oh the british and fish and chips it's like what you're acting like none of you all have like sort of beige food as well. Yeah. This is oh. the thing every country I've ever been to in Europe has its own beige speciality. So don't come for fish and chips. Do you know what I mean? Like don't yeah. don't do it. I'm waving my big fucking British flag now. Do you know what I mean? Go fully Brexit. But <laughs> little bulldog money bank it. on your uh, on your desk. Europeans don't 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 get all aggy just because you can't Back do it, on. right? You can't do it as well. Um, do you think we should, I mean, talk about the fact that, ne- I mean, neither of us have been to the cinema this week. We've, we've both been away. We've addressed both that. Returned. But we have we have both watched something. I, I mean, I've been eagerly anticipating the return of this something. Yes. Um, and that something is Top Boy. Will. What did you make? Let's, let's, I'll tell you what, mate. Let's talk about this. I mean, if, okay, here's the first question. Are you calling this, Season three or season five—that's um, the big question, mate. So I, I'm calling this season three, okay. even though it is season five, because I just think they're so different. Mm. Like in terms of the, so I made a huge error when I first watched this. Everyone was talking about Top Boy, like oh, so good, so good. You got to get into it, and this is like years ago. I was like, right, okay, let's give it a go then. So I was like, right, it must be on Netflix. So I jumped on Netflix and I just started watching. And I watched the first two seasons um, and was like, okay, where's season three and season four? And then realized I'd watched season three and season four. And then we'd have to go back onto 4OD, I think it was 4OD, wasn't it, to watch season one and season two. Um, And so in my mind, this is like obviously the fifth season, but because of the way that I watched it, I was very much looking at this in the same way that I looked at the first two seasons of the Netflix Top Boy. When basically, it was when Drake sort of came on as an exec yeah. producer, right? Um, so so even though I think I preferred the rawness and the edginess of the original seasons, I, I'd got used to, let's just say I'd got used to the kind of new style of shooting. So I was, it didn't jar for me as it has for other people. I'm like, I don't know about you. Were you, were you very much kind of in, in the old school camp? No, I mean, I think it's, I think they've built up to this point, you know, quite well. I mean, I think people need to bear in mind at the end of the day, like it's an entertainment show, isn't it? You know, yeah, like it's, it's, 
I think it's fine. I get, I get it. And I know, but you're appealing to an international audience. Let's not forget that, you know, like, you know how much Americans love guns. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, you got, you got to have a bit more of that in there. It's, I think it's fine. I, th- I think that that sort of the, the Hollywoodification of it is all right, because I still think it retains enough of its edge that it's, it's fine. Look, I, for example, I don't see people complaining about the same with Peaky Blinders, you know, which... Yes, yeah. Again, like in the 1930s, let's be honest, in the UK, people weren't running around with Tommy guns and stuff like they were in Manhattan, for example. You know, it's the same type of thing. It's... It's, a, <clears throat> it's, it's... Yeah, it's a... it's Because I'm, I'm being very careful not to use the word glamorising because... I think Top Boy, one of the strengths of Top Boy is I think it does anything but glamorize that lifestyle, to be honest. Um, but I guess in some way, I don't know. I don't know if it glamorizes it. It just adds a level of, like I say, Hollywood gloss to proceedings. Yeah, and I think glamorize is, a, is a, if I'm honest, I think glamorize is a super loaded term now because of because of the way that people use that term, particularly people that want to try and like, be like, well, look, you're making it okay to have guns, you know, mm. it, it, and it's not that. It, it's definitely not doing that. And particularly the first two of the Netflix seasons, I don't feel that they, I feel like guns were actually <clears throat> far f- fewer and farther between. That could just be me being Captain sort of like reflective and, you know, it's always the idea of things is always a lot more uh romanticized perhaps and rose tinted in your head when you haven't watched them for a while and they're in in the past and you always remember it as being better than it was but mm. as far as i remember it was it was really quite um when guns were revealed in the first two seasons of top boy it was always a bit like oh wow that's that's scary you know like mm. that because that means it's going to potentially be used um whereas that like, in this season i feel like i don't know there there was if I'm honest, I feel like there was a little bit more of a removal from reality, which I felt was, which was frustrating given that I feel like the strength of Top Boy is the raw, authentic grittiness of it. Mm. And that, and and like you said, is that there, there's been an, a layer of Hollywood gloss applied to this, which doesn't make it any less entertaining in fact it probably makes it more entertaining for a global audience but for um for people like you and i that live in london and i certainly get there's so, it does something to me in a very powerful way because i recognize so much of london because they're driving around and they're going from scene to mm-hmm. scene and you're like wow that's a london landmark and you're like oh my god this is on my doorstep and there's this whole world that is uh, it's it's almost like um, a very scary snow globe, you know. It's like there's an entry point to it that people can't get out of. They're trapped there, you know, and they they can't escape this world. And everything goes on within that world. But yet we're all looking at the landmarks and being like, well, I recognise that. It's maybe like ten minutes from where I live, or fifteen minutes from where I live. And that mm. then creates this feeling of. God, you, you could just be in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think that's the the scary reality of it. I don't know if I felt that in the same way in season three. I don't know what, what you, how you felt about that. <clears throat> yeah, I do know what you mean. I think the main thing that that got me with season, with this, the, the final season, is that I appreciate, you know, it's hard to tie everything up. Um, you know, they've got six episodes per series. 
So there's a lot of storytelling to do in that space of time. Um, I just felt that, look, I th- look, on balance, I think the series is great. I think Top Boy is one of the, the best British series. I think it, I mentioned Peaky Blinders previously. I think it stands up there with Peaky Blinders in terms of the, the mobster type, you know, British thing. I think it is, despite some of the trappings kind of being slightly Americanized, I do think it's still quintessentially British like you say you can kind of see so much of the the scenery and stuff and though you know especially if you're if you you know spent time in London or you're from London you know the kind of the 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 feeling of the place um I like how they've tried to expand the world a bit you know with the kind of like in the last series the drug running with Spain some of the parts of Duchenne going back to Jamaica things like that like I think they've done some, they've put some nice touches in there. I like the way they've shown the underworld, the way in which the different sort of criminal elements and enterprises all kind of overlap with one another, that sort of a thing. I just think what what got me a bit in this one is it it just felt a bit messy. It felt a bit, yeah. it, it, you know. I, I think like for example, you had the the amazing introduction of like. Barry Keoghan, right? And and that kind of the IRA, not IRA, whatever they were, drug smuggling, Irish mob type element. Um, but it was like they were introduced as like the antagonist of the series and then just taken away, straight away. I didn't really understand the point of that. Um, I think there was some nice moments. I personally, I've seen some people say it was quite cheesy. Maybe it's just my age. Maybe it's my sentimentality. Maybe it's just because, you know, we've been watching these guys on screen like, you know, Kano and Ashley Walters playing, you know, Sully and Duchesne for 20 odd years now, I guess, probably if you, because I've watched it since it was on Channel 4 kind of thing. I thought I I found their moment at the end actually quite tender, quite nicely achieved. You know, I I felt it was seeing those kind of, you know, how they are two very toxic, macho, kind of hard nut guys actually like I say having this quite tender moment feeling very uncomfortable with letting one another know how they feel even though they're both dead men walking and one of them was you know on his way out sorry for the spoilers I'm sure everybody knew the writing was on the wall with this one um it's I thought that was quite nice I thought that was quite nicely handled but Overall, it just felt that I, I, I didn't feel that same. And like you were saying, that I didn't feel that same emotional pull really for the overall arc of the story because it just it <clears throat> felt pretty rushed. And like I say, I know I know it had to be wrapped up. I know that yeah, the this, this series. I I personally believe they'll probably reincarnate it in some way using yeah. some of the other characters yeah. and move it. I just I think that the Sully and Deshane story is done now. And you could feel that it was done throughout the whole series. I almost feel like it would have been quite good, quite ambitious of them to do like you've seen with some other series. And there is one in particular, but it's not coming to mind right now. But if you suddenly just surprisingly, bang, you ended the Sully and Deshane arc two episodes into the series, for example. Yes, yeah. And the rest of the series is seeing how the whole world develops in their absence. Because that, that to me, feels like the core of the story. And I feel that's almost where it lost itself a little bit. Because, you know, Sully and Deshane were the top boys. 
and we saw their dynamic unfold over the over the either the three or the five series and we saw kind of really at the end of the second series i felt that Duchesne was this kind of cold calculated psychopath that didn't have enough emotional kind of attachment to the people that worked with him and that led to him being alienated and it led to him being an unsuitable leader as a result but then you saw the other the flip side of it Sully who was brash he was headstrong overly emotional he made these kind of less rational decisions and that equally was his unfolding it's kind of like I felt like we knew this we knew this about both of them we don't really have anything else to learn here and so it just felt like there was this really conflicted sense of storytelling of like well, we have to see out the we have to see out this series. We have to see what happens to Sully and Deshane. But like, they weren't even really in it that much in the in this final no. series. They were just kind of like dropped in in little pieces here and there. And it felt like because we had to keep flipping back to them, and it felt like because the you know the the the, the conclusion of the whole thing had to end on those two it undermined a lot of the other storytelling in there because I thought there were some brilliant moments there. I like Jack Jack's arc, you know, seeing her kind of that realisation. And this is what I was saying about, like, I, I really like the way Top Boy handles a lot of this stuff. It's it's not saying, like, you know, come on, kids, go out and sell crack and, you know, drive around in a, in a Land Rover or whatever sports car of your choice and have this glamorised kind of hood lifestyle. Because what you were seeing was the real-life impact on on the you know on the community on the people close to them everything like that you know it was it was perfectly spelled out and i think also for any of the kind of like you know judgmental middle class type people that would say oh just get a job stay in school what the series also did perfectly well was show people well you know people don't always have a choice like you know like uh sally says right at the end you know you saw where we came from you know you saw where we came from and where we were from if you're not a monster, you're food. And I I felt like it played with a lot of those issues very well. It played with the the idea of like systemic oppression of, you know, people who are marginalized within society. It dealt with all these things so well and so tenderly throughout all the series. But like I say, it just felt from from a storytelling perspective in this last series, it was just a bit muddled. It was just a bit muddled because I don't even feel like I need to do a spoiler alert to let you know that one of one of Sully and Duchesne meets their maker in this one because that's, the, like I said, the writing's been on the wall for that, for the whole thing. So you spent the whole series waiting for this to happen. Hence why, for me, it's like, get that part of it over and done with episode two and expand this storytelling. Let us see what happens with this, this kind of, this void of power that's left there when these Irish mobs, mobsters step in and they try to exert control over Summer House and the surrounding area and everything like that. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens to all these people that Sully and Duchesne have groomed, you know, have groomed and f- turned into this gang, this operational unit. Let's see the struggles because because you, it was touched on, you know, you, you kind of, you had like Jack trying to keep a lid on Jamie's crew, you know, and they're still resentful because Jamie's been killed in the last series. And that dynamic it was like that wasn't explored and that to me was like an interesting storyline that they could have gone with so it felt like you know there were all these seeds of nice ideas but ultimately it all had to be this big kind of you know 
culmination in we have mm. to end Sally and Duchesne's arc. I feel like I've been going on for ages now, but do, do, you, do you get yeah, kind no, of what, mate, where I'm I coming from? I, the way that I, I totally, yeah, I 100% agree. Firstly, what you're saying is, is so bang on the money. Um, but if, to, I'll, I'll sort of double down and, and commit a bit further on this one then. You, you know those puzzles that you used to do when you were a kid and it would be a series of like lines and then they'd go into the middle of the page and then tangle and then they would untangle again and you'd have to work out where which line started and which line yeah, ended. Yeah, yeah. I feel like the final season of Top Boy has got so many of those threads that it tries to untangle all in the space of six episodes that realistically it just gave itself too much to do in order to create the idea of fear and peril you need time and you need sort of that scary sense of foreboding that scary sense of danger and that's built over the course of expectation and trepidation you can't just airdrop someone in like Barry Keoghan who by the way is fantastic in this he's really really good because I was bloody I mean, terrifying I, isn't it? We, we've just watched him in um Banshees of Inner Sharon, where he mm. plays a guy who's slightly slow and a little bit timid and who ends up killing himself. Sorry, spoiler alert. But he, he, we just watched him in that performance and he was so tender and so soft. And then suddenly sort of comes in with this sort of hard, cold, ruthless streak. And you're straight away like, okay, am I going to now get into this character? Am I going to find this character kind of like, where's his arc going to go? And then he's gone after five minutes. Spoiler alert again, sorry. Um, he's gone after five minutes. You're like, oh, okay, so we're not going to do the, the whole baddie thing. And I think when you have a performance that is as iconic, I would now say, as Michael Ward as Jamie in the last season, I mean, he, he was sensational. He was so, so good. He's incredible, isn't he? It's very difficult to come in and, and top something like that. And I would argue that Jasmine Jobson as, as Jack is the standout in the series, I think her performance and her arc and her ex experience within the show gives you something that you haven't had before. And I think the character of Steph is is very good as well. And we're actually seeing something there. But as you said- Steph, Jamie's little brother. Yeah. I, I um, thought he was incredible. Like So brilliant. Those scenes on the bench, there was one scene in particular when he's just kind of talking to him on the bench, talking to him about having a girlfriend and stuff. Brilliant. Really got me. Like, really yeah. got me that. Absolutely outstanding. Like, outstanding. So, so good. But I feel like in, in order to catalyze these storylines, they had to take aggressive storyline or scripting steps. You know, suddenly, like, Ashley Waters has just killed a guy. You know, Deshane has just killed a guy with no real kind of need to kill him, you know, to get us to the point where we've got an end game on our hands. He's just killed someone. And 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 I totally understand that need. Like you said, I totally understand that need for it to end with Sully and Deshane. That's where it starts. That's where it ends. And I get that. But I just think that given how wonderful the storytelling was in kind of season one and season two, um, and I forget the name of the character that was from, from Liverpool. It was like, hey, Lauren. Um, it was horrible, it was wasn't just it? so nasty. You actually felt with him that you wanted, even though they were both baddies, like both sides were kind of like the bad guys, you sort of felt a sense of attachment 
to wanting one to survive and, and, and one to kind of like go. And I think this just, it just fell a little bit short on that, but we should be at pains to point out the fact that this is still phenomenal. Like it's still brilliant. Yeah. It's just yeah. the bar is so high because of how incredible the first two seasons were. You do it's hard to end the stuff yourself, as well, man. It not it just? Like, I mean, how many series genuinely have the ability to look at the exec producers and say, you guys need to just shut up and back off because we're going to do it our way when they're the people that have got the money and they're the people that are saying, oh, cool, well, we can just pull this funding. You know, it's like, mm. it's, you and I have had this conversation so many times on the pod about how difficult it is to please exec producers or, or, or the production companies making it that are bankrolling it um so to manage to kind of like keep everyone sweet and still make something that is so pure and editorially authentic it's very very difficult and then also like you said you've got to remember this an american audience they've got to keep happy as well but i just felt that it set itself an impossible task with the amount of storylines that it opened and then had to close nice yeah i like it mate i like it um Shall we uh shall we move on to onto this week's film then? Let's do it. <clears throat> Let's do it. So you picked for us, please refresh our memories, mate. The beach. Now I, I, I like full disclosure, came away from the psycho pod. Firstly, just loved watching Psycho. Um really? first time first time that I'd uh, first time that I'd seen it. And oh, sorry, by the way, just while I remember this, you jogged my memory, you said an example of um, a show where a character just gets killed off really quickly. Well, one, Psycho, we had that the other week. But yep. two, are you a House of Cards fan? I am, yeah, yeah. So Kate Mara, as Zoe Barnes, he just slings her in front of the train. Yeah. And yeah, then I um, think that's episode one or two of season two. Yeah. And you're just like, oh, wow, we've just killed off one of the biggest characters. And, and I was, was like, shit. She was like huge, like A-list celeb, like talent at the time as well. Right? Massive. Matt, and like, and had been so powerful in that first. I mean, she was really that part was just she just dominated with that part, and and like so that's a great example of of that. But full disclosure, I came away after I'd said on the Psychopod that we'll be doing a Leo DiCaprio film, and I was like, ah, oh, should I have picked the beach? Is it going to be as good as I kind of remember it? Is it going to be kind of how I thought of it? And, and I was a bit nervous until I watched it. And then I watched it and I was like, great, there is so much to get stuck into. But the reason why I picked it was because I can remember this was a film that I would have watched um, on maybe a Friday night when I'd got back from, I used to go to a youth club on a Friday night. And well, that makes me sound so old, doesn't it? I went to the youth club. Um, <laughs> but I used to go to a youth club on a Friday night. And the youth club was from 7.30 till 9.30. And I'd get back and then we'd get in at sort of like quarter to 10. And I'm in year eight maybe at the time or year nine. And you're in that awkward phase of life, right, where you don't have to go to bed at 9.30, if you don't want to, like you're, you're old enough, 13 years old or 14 years old, you're old enough to go to bed a bit later if you want to. Parents might go to bed and then it's Friday night and you're kind of like, well, what do I do now? You know, like what, what am I yeah. actually going to do? I can't go out. I've got no way of going anywhere or doing anything. So you'd end up just sitting and watching TV or being on MSN till like stupid o'clock. Yeah. And this is the epitome of one of those films that would be on on a Friday night that would be like, oh, what's this? 
it's probably a little bit too, like I probably shouldn't be watching this as a 13, 14 year old. It's probably a 15 certificate or whatever. So it's just the right side of a bit dangerous and edgy for, for you at that age. Bit, bit of rumpy pumpy in there as there's, well. You know? There's multiple, um, yeah, multiple displays of, of stuff that you don't normally get pre 10 o'clock. Yeah. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, so I, I like it, it was one of those films that I just would have like absolutely adored watching. Be like, oh, I'm going to talk about this at school. Did you see the beach on Friday night on Channel Four? You know. Yeah. What about you? Did you do you enjoy watching it back? I, I, it's the first time I've ever seen it, mate. This is course, the random thing. Of course, yeah. of course. So I, I, like, I, give yeah. me first. Give me like first. We'll do the. You can spoil it in a second, but just like first impressions watching it the the funny thing is right because i didn't see it i didn't have this a sense of nostalgia for the film as such yeah yeah so it looked it looked funnily like it looked very very dated you know yes and i was i was astounded by like how much a film that's really it's only 23 years old can look that dated um, so I think that was the first thing that jumped out at me. But then it, I think it also sort of made me think about why I hadn't watched it because it was such a, I think it was such a cult film, especially because I would have been what? So 2000 when this came out, I'd have been about 13 or 14, I think around that type of age. Um, and I remember it just being so big because all the girls loved Leonardo DiCaprio, you know, and I think all the guys wanted to be Leonardo DiCaprio and it had that sort of perfect kind of blend of excitement, sea sun, that wanting to escape from you know when you when you're kind of just a bit too like you're talking about there when you're at the age where you you're not an adult yet, but you're not a kid anymore. You're that awkward totally. in between age when all this stuff is ahead of you, and you're like, oh yeah, you know, I'm gonna experience all this stuff in a few years' time. Um, so everyone's kind of excited about that. And I sort of made me wonder, like, why didn't I ever watch it at the time? And I, I, don't, I don't know why I didn't get around to see it in a cinema or anything like that. But I almost feel like I never really bothered with it because I was, I kind of associated it, it with being like, what, like the popular, the cool kids like. Yeah. Do you know sure, what I mean? Sure. Whereas yeah. I was like, mm, it's just not for me, this. It's not for me. It's not for me to sort of be wandering around on a beach with a six pack. And do you know what I mean? I don't know. It's yeah, just I know, sort of weird I know exactly stuff. what you mean. I know yeah. exactly what you mean. That's yeah. such a good way of putting it. It has that feeling about it. Like it would be the sort of film that like fairly um, randy 16 year olds would be going to watch together at the cinema. Like exactly. on, on first dates, the, the cool kids at the back of the bus taking their girlfriends to go and see it at the cinema exactly. together. Exactly, and then all bragging about what base they got to afterwards ex- with their mates. Exactly sort of right. Thing. Yeah, exactly yeah. Exactly right. Whereas and- there's me sat at home just wanting fucking match of the day to start. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> like wondering if Spurs might, you know, finish 10th that year. Yeah, in the, words of, do. in the words of Alan Carr, so socially abstract, I'd struggle to get a wank. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? That type of like, you know, oh, I guess I'll just I'll play my PlayStation and I'll watch Match of the Day and I'll exist yeah. in my sort of little bubble. You know, yeah. I think it just Someone didn't Someone shut like the was... curtains. Don't let the natural light in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> But I, I did find watching it, the funny thing is, though, even though, like I said, I didn't have that, 
I guess the nostalgia of, oh, I remember when I watched this, I was at Blah's house or this or yeah. that. It still had a nostalgia for, I guess, for that time. Because, you know, like I say, this is just what we've been speaking about now. It made me reflect on, you know, I guess what I was like at that point in time. And I don't know. It's just, it's interesting. It's it's, it's funny, isn't it? And I, I, you just cannot get over it. Like when you see... Leonardo DiCaprio now is this kind of grizzled old sort of fifty something who is getting cancelled because he's dating fourteen year olds <laughs> or whatever. You know, that's a joke. Oh, I know he's no. nothing libelous. I know he's not doing that. But um, but there is the myth, isn't there, that like basically like girls get too old for him at twenty two. Yeah, but he's such a child in this film. It's so oh mad. Oh my god. You know, you know, he actually looks in this like he hasn't grown into his body. Like his feet in those sandals look about fifteen sizes too big for him. Yeah, you know, uh, uh, Tilda Swinton as well. She's a kid. Yeah, you know? yeah, and and, and like mad. I mean, we can come on to this, but Tilda Swinton, it, it sort of like, in a way that I just don't think about her. Do you know what I mean? Like she's. She's kind of quite this, she's quite sort of, I don't know. I just, I sort of think of Tilda Swinton in the same way I think about Uma Thurman or Kate Blanchett as this kind of like almost queen like regal, you just like the mortals don't mess with the gods sort of thing. Um, And in this, she's kind of very much, even though she is playing a, a leader, she's sort of, she's like this kind of like free hippie sort of young quite i don't even know like because she's she's obviously attractive but like in this it's in a very different way do you know what i mean Mm, i do know what you mean it's yeah i think there's a what is it you say there's a level of um androgyny there almost which is why it's almost seems quite shocking the scenes when her and dicaprio actually end up bonking you know what I mean? It kind of takes you out of nowhere when she's just like, "Yep," and you go and start getting the bed nice and warm, eh? And you're like, "Yeah, oh, hang on, hang on, yeah, yeah." Um, really, I, really bizarre that bit. I think we're jumping ahead a bit. Yeah, um, come on, spoil it for me. Give you me want me to stuff. spoil it? You know yeah. how good I am at doing this, mate. I love you it. You know how good I, I am. I, I just see this as like a really good challenge now. Although this one, I feel like, oh no, no, no this is going to be very impossible anyway. But are you ready? Let me give it a go. Three, two, one. Okay, so The Beach follows Richard, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, who is a young American tourist backpacker. He arrives in Bangkok where he hears from Daff, Daffy, this crazed kind of Scottish roommate of his about a legendary secluded beach, Paradise Island, um, that offers a idyllic utopian way of life. Um, He meets up with two of his fellow travelers, Francois and Etienne, um, who are his neighbours. He quite fancies Francois. He's, he convinces them to get off to this island be- and discover this community of hippie-type people that live there. They manage to get there. They navigate the waters. But as they become part of this community, they realise that paradise isn't as perfect as it might seem. The residents have created a society that is seemingly a utopia, but it isn't because if you fall... Bad damn man. Yeah, like listen, it's it, a great effort. And do you know what you've done perfectly? I feel like you set the scene really well for us to begin the dialogue from this point. You gave us all of the kind of like the key stuff at the 
at the top because, I mean, he arrives. One of the things that I found really interesting from the start is that arrival scene in Bangkok. Yeah. You know, that, that whole him arriving and straight away. Actually, can I... I want to skip ahead. I, 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 sorry to do this straight away. Leo DiCaprio's character in this is such a dick. <laughs> he's such a twat. Well, he's, he's a pugnacious little twat, isn't he? Isn't he? Like, he's just so, so annoying. Like, every time he was like, arrived and he was like, oh, I was looking for something different. And then he like shots the snake blood and he was like, everyone's doing the same thing. I was like, God, if I knew you or you went to my school, I would think you're such a bell end. <laughs> like the bit when he's just, he's told all of the residents of the island, yeah, sorry, so your, your, your mate actually committed suicide. And they're like, oh, do you know what's happened to him? And he's kind of like, <laughs> they've probably incinerated his body or something. And he's like pissing himself about it. And you're and like, then, And then Mate. when the guy's got his, like, his, his tooth, he's like, he literally the guy's got infection in his mouth. He's like, sometimes you have to go through a little pain to like keep our secrets. Like, Mate, you literally made a copy of the map, you twat. You are the <laughs> worst but guy. What, the, what was the other bit? The, um, you know, when he first speaking to Daffy, when he's... Um, What's his name? Robbie uh, Robert Carlyle's character. What a performance, by the way. Yeah, I mean, he, it haunts you throughout all of it, doesn't it? But like, when he just sort of says to him, so you've got mental issues, right? No offence. Yeah. You're you know? mental. And yeah. like, and then he starts laughing at him. But he's but, like, <laughs> I think what they did capture, what I think what his character was so brilliant, is, 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 is what it so brilliantly captured. Let me get my words out properly. Um, was that I, I'm sure you must have met in your life the kind of like the posh kind of kid from money. That's what I always took from Leonardo DiCaprio's kid, character that he's the kid that comes from money that doesn't really worry about stuff. And I think it almost like because you know, everyone spends all their time saying, like, oh, this kid comes from this like really dodgy estate and whatever, you know, his dad ran away when he was a kid and he's blah, blah. And you kind of, you people always kind of like talk about those people on that sort of fringe of societies being, be careful of them. They're really dodgy, but people yeah. never talk about the complete, the, the other side of the horseshoe, which is these characters, these very rich, no real worries in their life type kids who are kind of listless, who, yeah, okay, they might have that kind of posh accent who it may sort of beguile you somewhat, but there's a certain sinister darkness to them where they're not as worried because they kind of know that the rules don't apply to them. Do you know what I mean by that? So we get two little examples of this. When he makes the phone call back home, he's like, I'm going to stay. And he's like... What? And he's like, yeah, I don't know, a few more months, maybe a year. I'm staying. And then at the end of the film, he's got like a email from his mum and dad being like, where are you? And yeah. it's kind of like there is just no way that you would have that level of disrespect for your parents. Just be like, just leave me alone, okay? You know, it's sort of like it is that it, it definitely has that feel that he's this kid who's like rocked up to. For example, he his character lands in Bangkok with no discussion about how he managed to get there, how he's got the money to be there. He's coming from America, so he's obviously like spent a fair amount to get there. He just lands, and he has this sense of confidence that, you know, and this is a sweeping generalisation, so I, you have to forgive me, but he has a sense of confidence that you would often see the rich kids at your school had 
You know, I went to a very mm-hmm. kind of like standard, comprehensive, like state school, very diverse, very kind of diverse in terms of socioeconomic background. And there was a, a way in which kids held themselves that maybe came from affluent backgrounds where it kind of felt like one way or another, I'll come up smelling the roses. I'm fine. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and he sort of like, his character just seemed to have that from the beginning. He's like, I'm looking for a real adventure, you know? And it's like, okay. And there's like a judgment, isn't there? He sort of, he seems to be very judgy about the, the, the other, the way that other people are doing traveling, other people that are going and just getting hammered and doing the same thing. And that, that in itself is quite, it is almost a bit annoying because it's like, look how edgy I am. I'm not just going to just drink and meet people and just like go to the full moon party on the beach. I'm going to go and do something real and, and authentic. And it's sort of like, I, I don't know. It, 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 we also, he also straight away cracks onto someone who's there with her partner. Yeah, and it's it's funny, isn't it? Because like all throughout it as well, he's like he's such a good guy at the end, you know. Like, and so this kind of this, I di- I did again. That's sort of one of those things that I found troubling. I find that type of anti-hero, but I don't even I don't was he billed as an anti-hero? Do you know what I mean, Leonardo DiCaprio's character? I'm not exactly. I'm not sure that he was, and that's kind of the Richard, isn't it? It is Richard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Richard's character it wasn't. He was. He was sort of billed as the hero, the heartthrob, all that type of thing. So you know, him being this kind of like Mister Take Your Gal type thing, it just. I didn't. I didn't like it. You know, I didn't like how it was not even really seen as like much of a moral quandary. You know, it wasn't yeah, even presented yeah. as that. It was just like well, yeah, you know, he thinks she's hot. And we've had that kind of real, like, you know, showing its age. And I'm sure we'll get onto this sort of stuff in Fine One or War Crime later on. But, you know, how she just kind of first walks up to him in that very revealing outfit, you know, yeah. that leaves very little to the imagination um, and just kind of walks into his life in that way. And is the, as the Godfather said, is that, that th- sort of thunderbolt moment how he's kind of made it his mission, how he's engineered basically inviting them to the island just because he wants to crack onto her. You know, that's, yeah. that's ultimately what it is. And it, it just kind of, it, it, it's funny how his, I guess his kind of duplicitous nature and everything like that was sort of heralded in this sense of adventure, boys will be boys kind of Almost way, which a bit I th- cavalier, wasn't it? Yeah, which I think really was kind of like a tip, like pretty sort of typical of of the noughties, which I've spoken about before, which I really found to be quite a toxic and ugly time. Really, you know, kind of you know everyone should be size zero, Heat magazine circling. Yeah, we've spoken about this type of stuff before, and I think that type of like lads get the girl by any means necessary type mentality was very prevalent back then. And I think it was championed a bit in this, but we're, jump, we're jumping ahead to find minor war crime a bit with this. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did want to say as well, mate, on his character, he literally kills a dude at the end and it's no big deal. He kills a dude cause he's got gangrene and he can't be bothered to take him back. Because it's too much of an inconvenience to take he's him back. He's dying from gangrene. So why don't I just, you know, why don't I just smother him? And <laughs> like, I'll smother him. 
are you a psychopath? <laughs> and then, yeah. but like, but but then he's like, "Will you two leave the tent? Because I'm gonna just hold his nose and put my hand over his mouth until the air stops." <laughs> it's just what is going. And then the film doesn't even. We're just like, yeah, he just went back to real life, you know, right? And it, it just. Oh, and he's looked at this photo, everyone, and isn't it nice? You killed yeah. one of them. <laughs> like, you actually killed that guy. And the other one died from his injuries because you wouldn't take him back to go and get some treatment when you were perfectly fine to go back and grab some rice and shag Tilda Swinton's character. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was fine. It's, you know, mad. Mad. It was meant, so, like, but, but this is the thing. So oh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip forward again if I do that. Actually, maybe we'll come to that in a second. Let let me ask you this. I'm I'm really intrigued by this because I I had a bit of a like a strange kind of I don't know call it like a moral quadrille, but just I had a, a bit of a strange quandary when I was watching this when I didn't know whether I was applying my own feelings towards kind of people that do that whole journey of self discovery when they're 21. I need to go and see the world and do this thing or whatever and, and kind of like learn who I am. Like because I think it's important that people do kind of like do this self self discovery and try and understand who they are i just have found in the past have have you been traveling that's the first question i mean i've what in this sense as a as a kid no but i you know i have traveled a lot throughout my life i've done lots of different you know holidays and things it is something that i very much enjoy but i didn't before or after university do like a travel period or anything like that but i did live in iceland for six months in my early 20s i got a job out there so that's kind of the closest thing i got to sort of a a sort of traveling thing so the reason why i ask is because i wonder whether i wonder whether traveling whether there is a a right way to travel basically whether there Mm. is a kind of like way of doing it and there's a there's a guy. There's a guy called Alan de Botton who Mark Corrigan references in Peep Show. Yeah, yeah which yeah. is. But he's actually. I'm like glad a, you said that because that's immediately what I was thinking. What as would de Botton do? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Botton wouldn't kill. Mate, what is I this think farty we're, Guantanamo? <laughs> we're going to need to one day because I really want to watch all of Peep Show. We should maybe do a watch along episode by episode or something like that. Uh, you know? Do you know what I'm? I would. I like. I've had that request already from a couple of people. Like, are you ever going to do TV? Would you consider doing Peep Show? Because we spoke about it on, on a previous but So we'll have to find a way. Maybe that can be like a bonus ep. Maybe. Or like another or a Patreon behind the paywall. We'll do a, a watch along of Peep Show. A side series, yeah. Each episode is a new is a new episode for us. So there you oh, go. Magnificent. But so Alan de Botton's got like a few books. He's got one called On Love. One is like on the media, and then one is called like The Art of Travel. Um, and he basically talks about how we've lost the ability to go and do travel like how you used to. And what's fascinating about this film is that it's right on the cusp of the information age right because this island there's this amazing article that was written celebrating 20 years later of of the beach imagine in real time like now if someone discovered an island like that they would have uploaded it to instagram and taken 10 or 15 pictures they've uploaded to their story Mm. they would have tagged it they would have tagged the location and this was why I was sort of saying I put a pin on the Cinque Terre stuff now because Cinque Terre is getting battered 
by mm. tourists. It's at a point where it can barely deal with it anymore. And it is quite literally killing the infrastructure as well as the environment there. And if you watch videos of the beach that is in in this film, if you watch videos of it now, this film made that beach so popular. It's now hideous. Like it's literally just covered in tourists, hundreds of tourists going to take their picture on the beach. Um, and it's really fascinating because it, at the time, people, he had wouldn't have had a, have a mobile phone, right? He wouldn't have had a way of contacting home. So he's quite literally kind of going on what he believes to be an adventure. And now what I'm, I'm really longing this out, but what I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on is like, is there a way to do travel? Does this film kind of like look at travel in perhaps a way of it being a bit of a dying art almost? The idea of genuinely going somewhere on earth and just losing yourself for a bit. Well, I think you, you touch on like, you know, it's, it's very profound really because it's true and it's something I feel a lot. It's It's funny being somebody... You know, like we are, we're kind of born on in those sort of shoulder periods, really, where mm. I can remember life pre-smartphones. I can remember life really just about pre-internet as well, um, or at least, you know, pre-internet in everybody's home kind of thing. And so I do kind of, I uh, I do have that feeling of like, so say like, you know, when I said when I was in, when I was in Iceland um, in my early 20s, Back then there was there was Facebook, there was MySpace, um, but even then they weren't set up in the same way. There wasn't an app for every single type of restaurant and everything like that that you had to go and you know that you that you know check into this place, go and see that place. This place is twenty feet away, kind of thing. Do you know what I mean? You would maybe Google it and see. Okay, so here's a list of like decent places. And that felt more reminiscent probably of how our parents would go traveling, getting like one of those big AA guides or something like that. And you make a list and you think, okay, we'll have to remember that. And if we see it when we're out and about in this part of town, then we'll go there. But if not, we'll find something when we're there, you know? And that's kind of, that's still really how my parents do their holidays whenever they go away. Yeah, Lonely Planet was a big one. Yeah, yeah. And nowadays I sort of, you know, I feel that every time I kind of, I go away. I'm kind of like, have I gone away? You know, you're yeah. still always connected to everybody. You're never really alone anymore. And this is one of those things that I, I, like, again, this is kind of one of those, it opens up these tangential sort of waffling sections. Oh, I but, love it. Waffle, please. Well, yeah, I was kind of thinking about like, you know, when I was on my, for example, when I was on my hike the other day, when I was doing that, and it just made me, you know, I was taking like pictures, I was doing like little videos and stuff like that, thinking, oh, you know what, I'll do like, you know, maybe I'll do like a little vlog of this whole experience or anybody that wants to do it next year and blah. And I'm like, and I suddenly had this moment of like, how mad is it that this is where my head's at now? Like when I used to do like hiking and stuff like that, and it, I still have that, like I still hike all the time and I'll do it for me and I do it for my mental health, my physical health. You know, and just because I enjoy being outdoors, it's nice. It's, you know, it's one of the joys in my life. But that everything now still is underpinned with this idea of 
everyone being able to see it, everyone being able to experience something that you have to share most experiences that you do, that nothing is really yours anymore. And okay, you still have people that like reject social media. I, I have many friends who are like that, who have kind of fallen down the other side of that. You know, like I say, I'm 38 now and I have many friends who stopped their social media exploration after MSN and the early days of Facebook type thing, you know, and they they are probably more like my parents than they are like me now in, in many ways. It's, you know, it's, it's quite funny in their outlook and stuff. But even still, they say that, but everyone's still on WhatsApp. Everyone still shares pictures yeah. on things like WhatsApp or in, yeah. it's just, it's just a bit different. Whereas, like I say, I remember, you know, I've been going to Dorset for years since I was a kid. I used to go there, like my family have always taken us there or we've always got my grandma and she was still alive. We always would go and visit her up in Yorkshire. My mum's from Yorkshire and we sort of walk around the sort of the hills and things around there and everything. And I just remember there was a certain like, there was a, there was an almost, there was an isolation. There was a sense of loneliness that came with that, especially when you're 12 and my siblings, like my sister was five and maybe my youngest sister wasn't even born then, right? And you're there with your parents and you're 12 and you're up in Yorkshire and you haven't got your, you know, your mega drive, well, master system I had. You haven't got my master system up there. I've just got my grand's old TV and it's what she wants to watch. So it would be Emma Dale and Country <laughs> File and Antiques Roadshow and all those type of things. And just sitting there thinking like, God, this will never end i want to get back home to london to like i say my computer games to my mates to all this type of thing there's that sense of sort of you know that isolation that loneliness there that i look back on now and i think god you almost don't know how lucky you had it like yeah. there's like we're never really alone anymore and in some moments that's great that's brilliant but in other moments it's like i'm never you never really feel off anymore. Do you know what I mean? Switched off yeah. ever. Do you get what I mean? Well, yeah, and not just that. Like you say, you never switched off, but you, there is now never a moment where time can just pass. Like everything no. has to be filled. Like time has to be filled all the time. Like it's not enough to be hiking. It's not enough to be in kind of like I, while I was away and doing my wanker runs um i didn't know what you were going to say then bloody hell <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> while i was away, just having a bit of me time no yeah. while i was away doing my uh kind of five ten k's on tour um it, it was uh it kind of struck me that i was kind of walk, running along the coastline but i was listening to a podcast as i go or i was listening to music as i go because it's not yeah. enough to just be running you know, I have to be hearing the sound of gulls, the lapping of the sea, all exactly. that type of thing. I have to be stimulated all the time. You know, yeah. and that's that's kind of like my weakness. You know, I like I'm, I'm I definitely have a technology addiction that I can't. Oh, big off time! From. But I think ninety percent of us, ninety nine percent of people in at least the West do. You know, um, but do, do, can I tell you one thing though? And it's it's so funny. It's it shows you like how. Like you say, addiction there, the dopamine effect that you get from technology, from being connected, from, you know, oh, I've got a message on WhatsApp, you know, just that little rush you get from it. And mm. whatever it's, whoever it's, you know, the missus saying, can you grab bread on the way home or whatever. Do you know what I mean? It's You still get that initial rush of seeing a message. But 
it was not too long ago. It was genuinely, it was like a couple of months ago. I had like gone into, I'd gone into town and I didn't have my laptop on me or anything. And for whatever reason, I don't think I charged it the night before or something. My phone had run out of batteries. And so I was, I was meeting Charlotte at a place and a you know, time and a place. So I was all right on that front. And I just remember, I just, I didn't have any like music to listen to, no podcast, nothing like that. I just went and sat in a coffee shop, had a coffee and didn't read anything, didn't look at anything. And I just sat and just watched people for a bit and drank my coffee for, you know, 10 minutes or so. I wasn't sat there for two hours. Do you know what I mean? But like <laughs> for 10, 15 minutes. And I suddenly just felt like better. <laughs> if that really? makes sense. Yeah, I suddenly no, felt I do, I good. And I was like, with that there. I should, I need to do this more. I need to actually make an effort to do this. Nah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it just, just don't so, do it. It's so true. One, and this is the thing, right? In the, in the, when I was watching the film, it really struck me that at no point is anyone holding a phone. Yeah. Like, they're, they're out on the beach playing volleyball. They're playing cricket. They're telling stories. They're making food. They're fishing. They're like in, the, they go for a swim in the, in the water. They go and kind of like, just kind of appreciate it. And, and, I don't know. It was interesting because I was like, it's not my idea of paradise. Like that's, that's the starters. Like for some people that would be paradise. That's not my thing. Cause I, I would be impatient and I do need things to move faster than that. But what I do find interesting is that the film before things go belly up, like there is an idea that this is what paradise could be. This kind of bliss, this Zen this kind of idea of everyone kind of doing their bit, everyone pitching in, but able to enjoy it all together. And every, the, you know, in, um, you know, in Hook, the film Hook, where um, they're, they're all kind of like, they've just had the big feast and they're kind of like imagined all the food. And mm. then they all go to their beds and they blow out their candles. And then the little kids just shouts, good night, Neverland. And <laughs> like kind of blows his candle out and everyone kind of goes off to sleep at the same time and sort of waves goodbye to the day. There's kind of that, this, that, that, there's that, the film kind of creates that feeling, right? That it's like, you know, go to bed happy and then wake up in the morning and we'll do it all over again. And, and I think that was part of the thing that kind of jumped out on me about it is that I was like, that's not real, you know? Mm. Like, it, it, whilst you could argue that, look, your reality is whatever you make it, how how easy is it going to be for you as someone that is involved in everything that you're involved in, in your work, in your life, in your relationships, in your family, friendships, etc. But how easy is it going to be for you to just go and put your phone somewhere for two hours and be like, I will just leave that now. You know, maybe it is easy. Maybe I'm over egging how, how difficult it is, but I know that it would, it, it, it would, I would have to fight a lot to, to do that. You know, I'd, it would be a battle for me. Did you not think, okay, because I think one of the big things that I, I guess I took from this in terms of themes is it, 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 it and it felt like, you know, this is what Robert Carlyle's character Daffy was kind of making, is that modernity, civilization, at least Western civilization, I mean, I know it was, you know, Thailand, but it was still, you know, it was a very kind of Western setting, right? A setting catering to Westerners and everything. I guess that's one of the big themes of the film, the film as well. 
Um, it's a type of kind of neo-colonialism and everything like that. But in this instance, what I want to talk about is this kind of like this myth of escapism that mm. the sense is yeah. that modernity and civilization, Western civilization, is infectious. It's almost like an infection. And once it's within you, it doesn't leave you. So when we talk about, oh, you know, let's leave the phone at home and go out for a stroll and listen to the sound of the wind blowing through the trees. You're always in the back of your head thinking, mm, when I get home, I want to carry on watching that thing. Or, oh, I need to message that yeah. person. Oh, yeah. I need to send that email. And we saw that with the beach. Like, they're all they're all seeking that escape from reality, right? The characters, they paint this place as paradise, like you say there, as this escape. But it's still a stone's throw away. They've still got a boat back to the mainland. They still put in a... Look, you see how frenzied they were for getting in their shopping requests when they knew that somebody was going back to the mainland. They never really escaped. It was all just a myth. They were just on this beach, but they were still... What did, what did he... What, I thought it was very telling that, you know, the character wanted to take cricket to this island. You know, I, I felt yeah. that was very kind of yeah. telling. I know, I know um, the... The character was doing who speaking of the Peep Show it was Johnson, yeah. right? <laughs> From it was Beach indeed. Show. Yeah. Uh, what's the actor's name? Patterson Joseph. Patterson Joseph. So you what know, amazing I, name. And yeah. he's also just like what a character as well. So I just, cool. It, it wasn't. Yeah. It's not. Obviously, it's not like the 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 cleanest kind of metaphor. I guess. I mean, maybe if you're going really deep on it, it is. But it's just quite interesting to see the posh English guy being the one that wants to bring cricket, like I say to this, in this neo-colonial sense to a new land. I, I thought that was quite um, on the nose, you know, the fact that you've got these people who say they're escape, they're like looking to escape, but they're making buildings and stuff. They're not really living at one with nature per se, you know, they still need to, get off back to the mainland and get these things they still have a guy who's basically a builder who builds them all these whatever still maybe they're built out of more naturally sourced materials but still structures and things like that for them to live they want to live under a roof they want to have walls you know they want to be able to brush their teeth they want proper sort of you know sanitation there it, it's it's all a bit of a myth it's people kind of living this fantasy um so that's that's kind of what i took that it's just but it's 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 in them right it's just it's in them it is that infection that you know like i say that daffy was talking about at the very beginning yeah and i i think what's amazing is that that makes because of that it makes the whole setup feel very fragile i mean we mm. see it we see it over the course of the film but it the the framework that keeps it held together really Ooh is just buying into this it's really a cult isn't it yeah oh yeah it's a cult 100% it's like if you buy in then it works but it's almost like i think it's almost like made of matchsticks you know it's like a it, 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 you could take one piece out and we kind of see that play out really fairly metaphorically and quite literally but it's the whole thing is not really built on anything. The belief system, as you say, is is exactly the same. But it's just like, okay, we're 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 all bought in, and we all need to be a part of this. And it's only really challenged when things go wrong. 
Like when when suddenly the the Swedish guys get bitten, you know, and it's like, oh well, you know, maybe we should kind of like just take like put them out of their misery. And and that that's when immediately when you sort of see them go well. He's bringing the vibe down in the camp. So probably if we go and stick him out in a tent out the back, like that's when that's when it really challenges everyone who's within the within the the tribe or whatever you would call it, because then they're actually facing something that's not just like let's play volleyball on the beach. We've got to try and catch some fish. Um, and I, I think just to kind of go back to the point that you made a little earlier as well, I think because of the time that this film came out. There was like a version of traveling. There was like a version. I think if you think about the type of TV programs that we used to watch in the UK, everything felt very far away. Like everything felt like US stuff that made its way over to the UK felt very foreign. It felt very like, oh, like that's you would never get a chance to do that sort of thing in the UK. And I'm talking about really like basic and stupid stuff like I don't know the simple life or um was it shipwrecked the the TV yeah. the UK TV series that went out to the Caribbean and did that that kind of thing and then we had survivor and then we had even like there was even TV series in the UK did you ever watch club reps in the uh, UK? I sort of remember it yeah and it would be all like those sort of grim dudes who'd be like Dino has been up all night he's like <gasps> <laughs> oh, I just want to lose all some girls. I've yeah, been up yeah. all night with them. You know, oh, it's yeah. voice all hoarse and everything like exactly. that. Exactly. Like, and yeah. then they would they would kind of like allude Grim. to the fact that he probably had chlamydia, but they would do it very sort of tongue in cheek. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's got a tri- an unplanned trip off to, the, to see the doctors where he'll need some antibiotics off the back of his long night with the ladies that he met on the strip. Like it would always be kind of like. It, it it would be very kind of like nineties semi safe, not too not too edgy, whilst at the same time clearly showing you that like travel abroad. I mean, I could even th- to give it like a football example. You think of like Euro nineteen ninety six. They had this whole thing of the England players doing the dentist chair. Yeah, you know, yeah. and 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 and, yeah. and travel being this kind of like this very much like what goes on tour stays on tour thing. Um, and it, it's it's really interesting because you basically look at this and you're now kind of like this as I, as I said before this is just not possible now you can't do travel like this now but I do wonder whether there is like you said you went to Iceland and you went and spent six months there but you actually I'm assuming you actually immersed yourself within it a bit because you get to know people and you get to know your coffee shops and you get to know sort of if I want to go to the cinema I'll go to the cinema at a place where I've found or someone's recommended to me or like my workplace like we'll go for a drink and people will show me to parts of town that I would not have found if I just rocked up and got on on TripAdvisor you know yeah yeah it just the 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 kind of thing that I I, I guess this was again like that. Like we always say this one's a bit sort of stuck in time, which is quite nice, because it it's showing you a version of travel in the nineties. It's showing you a version of what it was like to go and say like I'm going to go and find myself in another country and go and do something totally different. And now, actually, probably quite sadly, really, like that option has been eradicated from us. And um, I think to your point about going and, and like sort of taking ten minutes away from your phone, like I think. 
maybe I'll give it a go this week as a bit of a challenge for the pod. Like I'll, I'll sort of do it as a as a kind of like I'll go and sp- that sounds so pathetic. I'm gonna be really novel and not have my phone on me. <laughs> but like I I can't remember the last time that I would have sat without my phone for two hours. You know, like that yeah. could be quite an interesting thing to do. Um, and I, I suppose just one other thing on this before we move on to talk a little bit more about Richard's character. Um, it's very much kind of like there's something quite metaphorical in the idea of that paradise being destroyed. Mm. Like the idea of them, like they all have to go home and they all have to leave. And in in the years since, it's become this place where it's sort of a very good example of of what paradise might have been. If you imagine 50 years ago, that would have literally been, someone could have arrived there and been like, wow, this is untouched and beautiful. I don't think there's anywhere in the world left now that you could you could find that. It doesn't really exist anywhere. So, it, like, and particularly with, Sorry to get all depressing, but if you like look at the news from the last couple of weeks, last three, four weeks, just in terms of some of the natural disasters that have that have happened, um, like we're probably running out of places to call a paradise, and we're probably running out of places that genuinely are going to be. If we look at the next fifty to a hundred years, that are going to be in a position to even support life, let alone you go and be like, well, look at this lovely beach. Um, yeah. But yeah, that that I thought that was quite an interesting point as well. Um, to come back to Richard. So you mentioned Daffy. How real do you think Daffy was? And how much do you think we can trust Richard? Ooh, interesting. Interesting. Um, I don't know, because I, I know what you mean. Like it, Because you're seeing kind of at the end, aren't you, Richard becoming Daffy, if you like, this idea yeah. of who Daffy was. Um, and I also think at given the beginning, that... there was the, the cleaner in the corridor. Yeah. And that was really intentional. That felt really intentional to me. Yeah, it was It was kind of weird. I guess maybe just trying to amp up the tension of the whole thing, make it theme, seem a bit more mystical. Yeah. Um, I would say that Daffy probably was real just because it makes sense. That's the way that Richard found the island in the yeah. first place, knew that it actually existed. But... I think maybe yeah, his uh, the, the the impact that Daffy has had upon Richard. I think you know Richard has kind of taken the core idea of who Daffy was and really run with it and filled in the filled in the gaps himself, right? And that's kind of yeah. led to this Frankenstein type imagination that he's yeah this this character that he's thought of in his head that's kind of telling him to do all these different things or whatever or guiding him on this journey when he you know is feeling the impact of of his isolation from from the rest of the the tribe because that's the real that's the real part right that's where we're talking about escapism we're talking about you know being away from everything cutting yourself off that's what it is that's that's when you know richard's character is is um what is it What's the term when you when you sort of excommunicate? Isolated somebody? or, or exiled? Or... Exiled, yeah. When he's exiled from the from the tribe, and you see that the impact that that has on him, you know, he he goes he goes mad out there, doesn't he? Yeah, and this is the thing I was trying to work out. Right, I was like, a actually one of the best jump scares I've ever seen in a film. 
did you did you jump out of your skin when Daffy just suddenly shot up off the ground? Yeah, it's horrible. It literally, th- I had completely forgotten about that, and he yeah. was like dead on the floor, and then suddenly it was like, and it was like, Whoosh! um, I had to watch it a couple of times just because it was like, it was quite scary. Actually, if I can throw out another amazing jump scare that's kind of like come back up on sort of my social media re- recently, it's like Bilbo Baggins going for the ring. Bah! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely grim. Um, but yeah, so his um, his character seems to come and go at really interesting points in the film and equally we kind of see Richard become both more recluse and also just completely losing it and then getting advice from Daffy but I've at that point I was like okay what of this is actually happening you know does he is he sneaking into the 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 farmer's treehouse is he genuinely going and picking up the guns like did he actually run away from what, those this guys? Is what I didn't get. What was what was he doing there, right? Well, I don't know. He was supposed to stop those people come to the island. Okay, get that. But what was he... He kind of... I don't know. He just starts... The bit where he starts eating the caterpillars that are obviously going to try and... I don't know. Maybe just eating, but then he goes and finds himself in the sort of pantry of the little tribe thing. Let me. I tell you what. This is sort of again. It's a bit of a tangent, but one thing I wanted to ask you about, mate, is that because you've sort of mentioned them there, is that how, like, their sort of idea of being, you know, of like escaping and all this sort of thing, right? When did they like just lose sight of the fact that they're on an island with heavily armed drug kind of farmers on it? Well, this is the there's. 1989 supposedly was when they they kind of arrived and I can't remember whether that was I knew that because of the book or because of the film but no I think they do reference it in the film and there's three of them at the beginning so it's Bugs, Sal and Daffy and that's the kind of first group um but you never it never is even really it's kind of reference that the farmers have said like okay you can you can stay but no more can come no one they can sort of have no one else join but then um but equally Francoise Etienne and and Richard's characters seem to be okay they kind of let them in which I actually this is probably quite an interesting sort of segue because Sal seems at the the heart of most of this Sal seems to be the character that seems to have all of the answers and is the one who's kind of the leader um I guess but her character we're just kind of told that she's the leader she just seems to be in charge without you ever actually give it being given any reason why she is in charge or, or why she would be the person that is kind of the 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 sort of natural kind of like I guess the chief of the tribe um but yeah I I just couldn't it was really difficult to to kind of place that as in what this agreement they have was with the farmers why she has kind of why she's the one who's standing there having the conversation at the very end of the film and trying to kind of like say no this is our home you know she like mm. she was crazy bullshit for for someone who's standing there with a gun pointed at her. Um, but yeah, I, what did you make of her sort of character just in general? I thought it was a bit of a weird one for me. Yeah, she was, um, 
I don't really know. You know, I guess I've sort of I've sort of wondered in, in in with this whole thing if all of the characters are very deliberately supposed to be quite archetypal. Do you know what I yeah. mean? As if they're yeah, supposed yeah. to represent a very different kind of pillar of society of life. Um, whether Sal is is maybe more representative of of the you know if we're talking about sort of paradise i think you know there's there's very sort of clear um what can i say like i think the beach is is very much the pastiche of the whole paradise lost thing right mm-hmm. of the garden of eden um and she almost does kind of represent that like folly of of humanity that like you can't you can't control nature essentially you know like you can't you you can you can lead people you can kind of set a framework for stuff but you know you can't you can't force people you can, what is it you can lead a horse to water but you can't force can't it to drink it. or yeah. however it goes or have i done what's that what's that expression no. when you mess up a, a an old metaphor or whatever it is i can't remember what it is but I, christina's twin sister has a great one she will always say if I'm like, oh, do you want to go? I don't know. Do you want to go grab some food? She's like, does the Pope shit in the woods? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, very, very good. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I know exactly what you mean. It's it, she sort of very much represents that that kind of. It's almost like she's kind of part matriarch, part Eve, part kind of Mother Nature in herself. She sort of seems to be at the heart of all of it, but. Um, but I did think there was this weird kind of parallel as well of her being this big fish in a small pond. Okay. Um, and I, I put down a note for myself on this strange crossover with Saving Private Ryan. All right, and go you on. You know dude. the scene in, in Saving Private Ryan where Tom Hanks asks how much the wager is up to? Sort of. I I haven't seen it for a long time. Saving Private Ryan. Hint, so hint. There's hello. Um. There's a um. There's a scene in it where the guys are all arguing. The troop is kind of at breaking point, and they're like, "Why are we even doing this mission anymore?" And then he turns to his kind of right hand man and says, "How much is the wager up on me?" And they said, "I don't know, five hundred dollars." And he was like, "Okay. Well, now's a good time for me to tell you. I'm a school teacher. Like, and I know every man that I shoot. I feel a little bit further away from." my wife and my home and getting back to my job. Um, and and I've this film kind of made me think of that because I was like, what is Sal? You know, mm. she's essentially Richard. She's, she's Richard. She's just gone traveling. She's just a person A. And she's just decided that she's making this, this random tribe. But what actually, what, what's her, what gives her the right to do it? What makes her the person that can be the person that goes to the farmers and be like, no, I'm, I'm in charge here. And that's what I mean. This whole thing is so fragile. It's built on matchsticks. It's made of nothing. It's made of complete air. So by the time that it comes to the end, when she basically has to point a gun to Rich's head and pull the trigger and say they can handle it. It's like, what even, what was the end game of this? Like, what were you trying to do? Were you going to do this forever? Like, were you going to live here forever? Was that the intention? Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like I found myself tugging at that thread and being like, oh, this is a bit uncomfortable. Like, what was, 
what even is she like what what, what uh, not perhaps less metaphorically more just kind of in terms of the film like what was she trying to do what was her ambition and then it kind of led me to thinking that maybe she's just one of these people and maybe we're all like this you know maybe we all have this in us that when someone finds their thing that yeah. they love and they're interested in and they're passionate about none of us like it when someone else comes along and says i'm i'm going to do that you know it's like well this is my like i'm this is my thing where i'm yeah, the big yeah, fish yeah. in the small pond why are you coming and ruining that please don't ruin my thing because i really like it and it makes me happy and like it back even, home i'm a nobody yeah and i don't want to go back to that you know and it's i guess i kind of I, i'm sure there'll be a lot of people listening that would know the feeling of when someone like, i think the in-betweeners did this really well when they come back from uni and they're like oh yeah my uni mates people are like yeah, yeah. What, what, do you, what do you mean you uni mates and it's like oh, no uni i'm i'm this i'm that you know and then the reality is that you got you might just have to go back home and just go back to the fact that you do a nine to five or you've got a desk job or whatever and i think again that kind of circles back around to the point that I was asking you about at the beginning. It's like, is there a right way to travel? Is this experience even real? You know, because mm. we see at the end of the film, Francois sends him a picture. What did, what did the, the caption say? Was it like another life or another reality or something? Something like that. Like that. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? And it's like in the book, actually, this is a really good time to talk about this. Sorry. I realized I've been yammering on for ages here. So the alternate ending of the film is, have you watched it? I watched it just before we started this. She shoots herself, right? Bizarre, wasn't it? Yeah. Like really, really strange. But I think that the lines that he says are the same lines that the book ends with. It's like, I don't know what to make of this, but I've got scars and I like these scars. Really? Which is another thing that makes me think, God, what, a, what a, the character is a, is a grade A throbber. But it... it at the same time, it kind of gives you a little bit more of an insight into into that that basically Sal was never Sal was not prepared to go back. She wasn't prepared to do it. So whatever mm. she'd left behind was she was not going to go back to it. Um, and maybe she just built this the, the the paradise worked for her, and it was paradise for her because she was in charge and she was the boss. You know. Should we also bear, like mention at this point as well, written by Alex Garland, based on a book by Alex Garland? Mate, I, I didn't even... Did you know this before we started? I did, yeah, I did know that, yeah. I don't, I don't know how I managed to miss that, but it was that was so awesome, and it's so cool as well, but it's like, again, it's another one of these ones where it's like just really thought-provoking. I mean, he's clearly got one of those brains that just kind of... You can imagine that he probably loves getting into the nitty gritty of like really uncomfortable ideas yeah like and I, that's such a gift that's such a talent because i run away from those most of the time well because yeah. he manages to generally package them up in a way that's not controversial in itself if you get what i mean no he just unpacks ideas he doesn't he yeah. like really carefully dismantles these quite like disconcerting and and, and sort of so uncomfortable they're almost nauseating themes the the idea of like when leo dicaprio is out on the out on his own in isolation and he's kind of like he's he's like his mind is just falling apart 
Mm. It's really uncomfortable. You sort of really like, is that what it takes to drive someone to madness? You know, to be exiled yeah. from a group of people and then to be left alone for, we don't know how long he's left alone, but he's actually got to a point where you're a bit like, oh, this is kind of getting, this is getting a bit weird now. Um, like just, yeah, his, this was his debut novel as well. This is the first novel ever written. I'm like, how is it that good when you do this yeah. your first one? It's just absolutely yeah. incredible. So, so good. Um, anything else on the alternate ending? No, not, not not really, mate. No. Excellent. Well, then that me. I wanted to ask you. You brought it up earlier on. Who is the goodie in this? Is the one? I don't know. the The only Etienne is the only person I can. I suppose so. Yeah. To have any shades? And at the beginning of the film, you're like Etienne's probably a bit of a dick because we want Richard to win. Yeah. You know. But, I think that's how it's kind of built at the start. Isn't it? Oh, he's this cocky French guy. He kind of gives Richard that smile, doesn't he? And then goes and, you know, does what he does with Francois and Richard hears it through the wall kind of thing. You think, oh, okay, yeah. he's the kind of nasty job character. But then ultimately you just kind of realise, oh, he's just with his girlfriend, you know? Just... He's like the only one that shows any kind of human side to him whatsoever. Yeah. Which is kind of like really, really interesting. And also, again, to come back to this, the, the scene where Richard actually has to kill someone there was like two or three moments in the film where it was it was difficult to watch, you know, when they, they sort of like literally take that guy out and put him outside. It's horrible. It's really. I thought that was quite. Um, I thought that was quite interesting. That it was quite challenging to be like, at what point will people just turn bad? You know what, like. Does everyone have a kind of breaking point where they'll eventually flip into being? Well, it was just paradise on our terms, wasn't it? That everything yeah. was fine until it wasn't. Um, and it, this is the funny thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, they said they were going to escape, but they still just had rules. They were still governed by something. It was just it was just another form of what they were looking to get away from. Yeah. Only they got to like they got to be the bosses, you know. But, but this is the thing, you know, how we talk about like why do we still have a monarchy in the UK? Why do we, you know, why do we have presidents or anybody in charge? Is it just that innate need in us as a species to be governed, to have yeah, something in to control, to have a safety net there? You know, yeah. There's a, really, is. there's a really good Family Guy sketch sort of, or, or episode about this where. Peter Griffin like goes but and basically tries to take down the government, oh, yeah. and and he's like, we don't need this anymore, and blah blah blah, and then they finally they overthrow the government, and everyone's like, yeah, okay, what do we do now? And he's like, well, we probably should all get together to decide who's going to make decisions and who's not going to do it. And they're like, yeah, <laughs> and maybe how will we decide that? I don't know. Maybe let's take a vote. Yeah, and it's like he basically they just create exactly the same thing again. And it's it, it, it's quite interesting that even in even in this film where it's talking about kind of let's all go and just kind of live this hippie free thing. There's still a hierarchy, yeah. and there's still the idea of some people have to go and do the chores and some people have to do the crap stuff. And I think it's even referenced when he was. Patterson Joseph's character sort of says, um, oh, and listen to them talking about you and shitting on you for not doing the your share of the chores and stuff. And it was like, oh, that's quite interesting because it is still, it's all the same, inane sort of like 
boring conversations. Um, we can't go on to the MVP conversation without asking, how much did you enjoy hearing Pure Shores by All Saints? Oh, mate. I mean, it's such a tune, but it was such a weird part of the... It, it felt so kind of out of sync with what was going on on, on screen. Yeah, yeah it's the bit when they're time. kind of going at it in the sea for for want of a better expression and also going at it in the sea let's say no one can make out under the water like that uh, bloody They're sharks like, everywhere like Algae, mermaids plankton you know come on <laughs> that was mental have a Absolutely bit of decorum mental. but yeah no absolute absolute banger that and porcelain as well man like yeah uh, but, but por- the funny thing is like porcelain even though i haven't like i say seen this film it's still so intrinsically tied to this movie right yeah, it is, and and it, I, I think it was in the I think it was in the trailer. I would so recommend if you get a minute, watch the trailer for this film. It is the ultimate peak nineties trailer. I might see if I can play it down my mic just for jokes. It's, is it at this summer? Yeah, in a world <laughs> like it's it is absolutely. Where did the voiceover guy go from trailers? Man? Come back, right? Let's see if he's got it. No, it's so good. It's just literally like it couldn't be more of a '90s trailer, but it's it's phenomenal, even with the kind of like dance music. But I think Porcelain is on that trailer as well. Um, But yeah, just just class. Very very kind of late '90s, early noughties. Um, Right, take us on, mate. Here's your MVP. That's a tough one, you know. That's a tough one. Um, I think I, I think I'm going to go Tilda, mate. I think I'm going to go Tilda Swinton. Yeah, I think she's just. I think her presence is felt in every scene so kind of keenly, and she's got that quiet kind of command. You know when when they first go back to to the mainland, and those kids are like, "Hey, thanks, Richard. Thanks for the map." and Straight away, you're like, oh, cell sat straight, like right there. Do you know what I mean? And yeah. how she just kind of palms it off with that. That's fine. She just lets him know that she's saying it's okay. It's, it's that, not fine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's that ultimate kind of boss move, right? And she, I think, yeah, Tilda Swinton just kind of carries it so well. Like, because like you say, she's she's not like physically imposing. She's got that, those kind of like sort of elf like features. She's very slight. She's very sort of mild mannered, softly spoken. Right. But with that just comes this real kind of like sense of like, what has everyone else seen in her that means she's in charge? You know, this is an island community. This is the wilderness. Shit happens out here. Kind of Lord of the flies shit. Right. People, take over people want to be in charge there's usually that kind of lust for power for control in certain personality types and whatever but why is it that nobody ever questions sal's you know grip over the place and yeah okay she's got that kind of sketchy boyfriend um so that kind of adds to it who's almost her attack dog right but still I, i i think the way like swinton kind of just conveys Sal's kind of roller coaster of emotion and I, I think she does it very well. 
I think she's yeah she I found her portrayal the most affecting I would say when I was watching it yeah she has a really amazing presence doesn't she she can make you just just by sort of body language or a look she has quite a piercing stare she sort of you you feel uncomfortable like she she can manage to maneuver the environment to make you feel uncomfortable as an audience member just by kind of her turning her back or that bit when she says you go and warm the bed and it's like Bleh. like and she said says to her friend i forget the name of the friend and she goes snook <laughs> you're like even just like a little weird sort of inflection like that you're sort of so aware that she's in control. I suppose the other, the only other one, I'll give the assist on this one. I think two assists, probably DiCaprio. There's a good range in this. Like he's, considering that he's just done Titanic right and he's about to kind of like go on this career arc, this is quite an interesting choice to do next. Um, and it was, it was a quality performance. I mean, he goes from being kind of like heartthrob boy on the beach kind of thing to just being a complete lunatic and basically having a breakdown, which is... It's a bit Rambo, wasn't it? Like, yeah, he does, does that whole bit where he puts the the, the sort of neck scarf around his around his head. Um, and yeah, and the other one is, is Robbie Carlyle. I just think yeah. he's only in in flashes, but my God, he's, he's so scatty. And, and can you imagine sitting there and, and, and being that character on a set like i think it's one of the things that probably gets lost that sets are quite sterile environments they're like really quiet they're super kind of if, if everything will be would have been done practical effects wise there right so he'd be wearing a ton of makeup and in a in a in one of those sort of walls on wheels sets um and you would have about 30 40 people in front of you and i know it's their job but to suddenly someone just go action and then you turn into a lunatic on cue it's like that's quite an impressive feat you know to be that believable yeah. it, it, i was so so impressed um right w- would you I- like to know one interesting thing i did i did read like before i, I yeah absolutely. I, I haven't really found a good place to bring it up but just talking about dicaprio and i guess why it leads to our Feelings about what Richard's foil was within this. Alex Garland, um, Danny Boyle sort of was very keen to know Garland's thoughts on a lot of things to do with the the process, right? And it was the start of a collaborative partnership with them, really. They went on to do 28 Days Later as well afterwards. Um, I think Sunshine as well, they did it together. Garland wasn't he wasn't at all happy with the casting of Leonardo DiCaprio. No way. Um, no, he wasn't because too pretty or what was it? He'd apparently envisioned that really Richard was a conduit for the reader or the viewer. For them, he was supposed to be almost like a plain blank kind of character where you could see yourself as him entering this world and you're supposed to be affected by that. But because DiCaprio was, you know, he'd just come off the back of Titanic. He was the biggest actor in the face of the planet. He felt there was too much of a need to kind of show DiCaprio in a certain light and in a certain way. And it drew too far away from the character of Richard. And in turn, it meant that he felt that it meant that the story didn't really have its desired impact. Interesting. Yeah. Because I mean, you do kind. Of, I guess we kind of see that in a film like Fight Club, 
where Ed Norton, mm. Ed Norton's obviously a good looking guy, but Ed Norton standing next to Brad Pitt is very different. Right. It, it, it's sort of like you, you kind of, you're able to be like, yeah, not us, buddy. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, and Ed Norton is still obviously incredibly charismatic and handsome. Um, but this took 144 million at the box office. I wonder what that, I mean, it's, I wonder what, what his budget was. Let's have a little look just really quickly. Yeah, no, please. I'm very interested to know. I like stuff like that. Um, okay, so it, it, its budget was 50 million US dollars and they yeah. took 140. So, like, like boiler cats, that's a success, right? Mm. Um, like, that, I mean, I imagine they spent a hefty chunk on getting Leonardo DiCaprio to be in it. But it, I imagine that probably also played a huge part into why it did so well. Yeah. Because the cover is literally Leonardo DiCaprio with his shirt off, standing with two palm trees <laughs> either side of him, and he's like looking up in this kind of almost angelic way. Yeah. And actually the cover of the thing is taken from a moment where he's losing his sanity. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it's, it's not like that on the cover of the yeah. of the poster. Um uh should we do it find one a war crime? Yeah, go for it, mate. So where should we start on this? I mean, first up, I think your your we should the character of Francoise is like pretty shite. She's barely given any dialogue. She doesn't I forget the name of the test that you spoke about when we did Thelma and Louise. Um, um the, oh god, yeah. But she uh, would her character would absolutely fail that bell, test. It's not the Belleville. No, what is it? But essentially her character is is Betchdale test. Betchdale test, that was it. Her character was basically there as the object of kind of his like desires. He cheats on her and she gets lied to and that's pretty much the only dialogue that she has with him. Like she's just she's literally just there to be someone that he finds attractive and we don't see any kind of three dimensional character. And also like She's like, oh, wow, you're so irresistible that we're going to sneak off and doink whilst my boyfriend's in the <laughs> inside. Like, it's not. It, it is a like largely male, very much a male skewed vision. That right? It's not a. There's no extra dimension to her character at all. It's it, yeah. She's completely a tool for like an object of male affection, right? Both those within the film and the viewers at home. Like that's yeah. that's just it, right? Yeah, and I mean, I don't think that's not too controversial. I think the way in which the Thai characters are dealt with, we only get one moment where there is any kind of humanity to them whatsoever, and that was when the farmer kind of loads the gun and then almost winks at Tilda Swinton's character to be like, yeah, I've got you here, and he outsmarts her, but... Other than that, they're kind of, to me, they're presented as these, as these almost like Neanderthals who are not capable Yeah, that's of it. Snake thought. blood drinking and gun toting and, you know, the kind of the moment of the woman cleaning the hotel. It's, you know, she's used again as like to be like creepy and all this type of thing. It's for a film set in Thailand, you know, it's all about, it's all about white people. But it's kind of, I think that's almost in a way maybe part of the point i I mean maybe i'm sort of extending too much courtesy to the filmmakers here but i I feel like 
Danny Boyle seems like a, a pretty kind of switched on guy with that type of stuff. I felt like it was maybe a bit stereotyped and a bit caricatured because the whole thing, like I say, is a sort of neo-colonialist tale. It's about all these middle-class yeah. Europeans, mostly white people, all coming to find refuge on somebody else's island and building it and making it their own and playing cricket there. It, yeah, this is know, paradise, so it's ours. Precisely, and so you're kind yeah. of viewing it through their eyes and what they are seeing is, ooh, look how quirky and kooky all these like people who live here are. How funny are the Thai people? You know, I, I kind of... I, I, but it maybe wasn't made clear enough that if that was a directorial choice and that's what they were doing. Maybe it wasn't, but that's that's almost how I kind of saw it in a way, I would say. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it, I suppose the, the difference is that we don't actually, perhaps like to your point before, Alex Garland saying that he wants you to see it through, mm. he wants the main character to be through his eyes. If, if, if this is a book that's being consumed in the US, the UK, etc., you probably would, that would be the lens that people in 2000 or 1990, I think the book was 1996, so it would yeah, have been the, the way that people would have seen it because travel wouldn't have been, you, like you said, you would have been reading like the, the A to Z guides or the Lonely Planet guides or the AA guides or whatever they were. Like they th- that would have been the way that people would have got their information. So there would have been a level of ignorance to it as well. Yeah. Um, the only thing that I did find tough is that there was this idea that the farmers would just murder four American people. Yeah. Like, th- that would, that to me, that just kind of, I don't know. That was just a bit. It, it, it got a bit. It, we were talking about with Top Boyer at the start. That just felt a bit silly, didn't it? Getting to yeah, that we're now kind just shooting people. You know, yeah. like there's no consequences whatsoever. You know, which is a bit, bit strange. Um, I de- yeah, there's definitely something there in just kind of like the way that travel is is presented as well. Not not that there's that is problematic, just that it's aged badly. Um, and like you said at the beginning, the film itself looks old. It looks really, really old. Like, and that's, that's, I quite like that. Um, but it does look aged. You know, there are films of that era that don't look as stuck in time as this one. Well, it's funny, you know how I was saying I'd just watched Jurassic Park, you know, a film yeah, yeah, made yeah. almost a decade before this. It, it looks older than something like that, even, you know, which is kind was, of. Why was Jurassic Park so. Was it because it was done with practical effects, you think, a lot of it? Maybe. I think it's just also that and just the genius of Steven Spielberg, isn't it? You know. Yeah, because there was a couple of shots in this where they zoom out and you're like, that is dreadful. Yeah. Like, there's like sort of these top-down shots done with CGI and it just looks like something out of a... Out the of a shark cut- as well. Yeah, the shark. It's something out of a cutscene from a PS1 Final Fantasy game. Yeah. It's sort yeah. of it was like very kind of like that's a bit of a niche reference, but for those who ever sort of played those sort of games, you would know. Sort of occasionally you'd go from normal graphics into cutscenes, and it would just get very, very weird very quickly. Um, but yeah, I would recommend as well. I, I might sort of put in the um, in the show notes. I put the the uh, link to the article just in terms of like what would the beach be like if it was made today. It's it's uh, it's really really interesting. Um, this is probably one of the first ones that we're going to look at the ratings, and I think they might be quite bad. It, it's it's actually I've just been loading them up now. It's really surprised me. I didn't know it was this panned. <laughs> Spoiler was alert. It, was it battered? Mate, okay, so um IMDB 
Not bad on IMDb. I mean, not the best, but not the worst. 6.6 on IMDb. Okay, that's, that's passable. Okay. Rotten Tomatoes, 21%. <laughs> and 57% from the audience. Do you, should we, let's just delve into some of the... Um, My God. Rick Groen of the Globe and Mail. Ultimately, it's more bland than bad. Um, wow. Zan Brooks of Sight and Sound... In pitching for the mass market, Boyle's film has allowed itself to be rebranded as a Hollywood star vehicle, a cynical assemblage that is never more than a sum of its market-researched parts. Lisa Al Spector of the Chicago Reader, a narrative that tries to juggle thriller elements, tons of pop culture imagery, and way too much philosophical baggage. Wow. Yeah, there's a few different, you know. Oh, giving a beatdown. Tony Black, this is quite good. Tony, Tony Black, a cultural conversation. Apocalypse Now 2, Beach Vacation. <laughs> it's, quite, it's quite a good one. Quite like Very that. Good. Um, Very so, good. yeah, that was that was Rotten Tomatoes. Metacritic, it doesn't get much better on Metacritic either. 43% oh on Metacritic. God, mate, I can only apologise. Although, st- I'm sticking it to him. I enjoyed it. It was like it was an interesting watch, you know. It was a nice one to do because it was, it, it, I felt like it was, it's a little bit different. Yeah. Christ, USA Today, Mike Clark, murky, pretentious, and tortuously inert. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Mike. Yeah, get off the fence, mate. Fuck's sake. Bloody hell. God, that is mad. Absolutely mad. Um, okay, mate, here we go. Do you want to tell us what we're doing next week? Should we bring the lights down? <sighs> okay, well, I... Uh... I sort of, I feel like, you know, we've been on a bit of a run of doing pretty dark, pretty intense we kind have, of stuff. We? So, so do you know, what? I'm, I'm flicking the switch the other way, just letting you know up front. We're, we're taking this light now. We're taking this light. We're going to have a bit of fun with this. I think we're going to have a, an action-packed section in the uh, fine wine or war crime section on this. Okay. But nonetheless, nonetheless... You know, it was a it was a film of my youth that I enjoyed very very much, and I've just you know we can we can we can top end next series because my inspiration really to dive into this one is because I've been getting into a series called Platonic on uh, on Apple TV, which features Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen um, about two kind of forty something aging millennials who are having this real paranoia about you know, being kind of silly people who are now in their 40s and realising everyone's younger than them and, you know, they're just ridiculous. So I thought with that in mind, I want to dive back a bit and see Seth Rogen when he was a bit sillier, when he was a bit younger. Um, And although he's not a massive part in the acting sense in this, I'm pretty sure he was one of the main people behind it, having written it. So I'm going with Superbad. (laughs) yes i was literally like crossing my fingers hoping you're gonna say super bad i like and also i think it's alex purdy's favorite film really producer Uh, purdy's favorite film producer purdy has just said on whatsapp oh yes (laughs) in the martin tyler fashion so this so this can i already give you a little bit of a spoiler here on this I ju- I, just because i'm so excited is it that you were possessed by some sort of a dick devil <laughs> yeah it's really veiny triumphant fucker um, 
Um, it, it, the way that he puts the paper in his mouth. After... <laughs> 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 okay, so here's the thing, right? This, like you said, the fine one of war crime bit. We're gonna. Oh man, we're gonna have a field day with this. <laughs> was he like me or like you? He was like you. Oh, Jewish. I'd crime for a Jew to commit. <laughs> for fuck's oh, sake, mate, I'm going to ruin it for everyone just by quoting the whole thing. But long story short, at the time when this came out, I'm I'm so ready to see what the scores are next week as well. At the time when this came out, I'm just throwing it out there. It got battered from some sides. I would recommend watching the Komodo Mayo review of this. It, really it got annihilated annihilated and yet i'm gonna go on record and say it is one of the funniest films that i've ever seen at the cinema oh, i remember mate, coming yeah. out of the cinema and being like what have howling. i just watched howling like, mate, in pain in pain when was it 2006 2007 i want to say so i was i think i was about 19 maybe 20 and I just look. No, we could, we're going to do this we next kill, week. Yeah, yeah. yeah but let's, let's what a choice! It, but... What a choice! Oh, Amazing! Amazing! I thought right. you might be sensational. Make sure you follow us at BYOB Pod, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, X, um, and on yeah, subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Um, loads of great videos on there. Lots of stuff coming up as well. Um, and yeah, thanks so much for listening. We'll see you all next time.